regular Drews. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode, I think this is 24, maybe? 24. One episode, right. welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, secret in the Old Lace is what we're going to be talking about today. This one is Nancy Drew Mystery Story number 59. Yeah. This one was um, written in 1980, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows. Man, yes. <laughs> it shows. Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. I was actually able to find out our author of this one. Ooh! So obviously this is oh dear very close to the original 56 59 we're just a few years mm. after when things got shaken up over at the Stratemeyer syndicate but mm-hmm. um Harriet Adams our you know our author our Carolyn Keene for a long time she was still um she wrote the outline for this one but she was getting very close to retirement at this point and Nancy oh, Axelrad I think is her name wrote the manuscript itself so okay. um you it definitely does feel like Harriet's touch was in this. Oh, yeah. Feel that way very much. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, now that you've said that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. So much sense because who else would write a mystery about lace? Right. (laughs) It's literally just about lace. Yes. About lace. Mm -hmm. You get about a chapter alone just on the history and making of lace. Yep. And it's like, really, really, this is what we think the young people are going to be into. In nineteen eighty. Yeah. I'm trying to make a joke and I don't have anything. (laughs) It's not funny or entertaining. I mean, I just I am so tired. (laughs) Y'all, this book was the biggest snooze fest. I I have never been more bored reading a Nancy Drew book than I have than I was reading this one. It's I, I I hate I hate to say this, but it's so bad. It's it's so bad because it's so incomprehensible mm-hmm. and not entertaining. And there are some books that are incomprehensible and entertaining, like Captive Witness, for example. Oh yeah. <laughs> what the hell was going on in that book? But hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah. In this book, it's like watching wallpaper like get put up or like <laughs> like watching somebody mow the yard it's like what why am i sitting here spending this time <laughs> it's something to do <laughs> it did oh. kind of drag a little bit it also didn't make any sense to me it didn't make any sense to me yeah i mean like i at the end, I guess I kind of get it, but it's just like, why? Like, why did we, what was this about? Mm-hmm. So we'll have to talk about that. Um, but in general, yeah, I didn't enjoy this one at all. <laughs> the mystery itself was, uh, it was just coincidence after coincidence. It didn't really make a lot of sense. I had a, I had some trouble following it, to be honest. To give it a little bit of credit, it did feel like a classic Nancy Drew 
story. We do have mm. Bess, George, Hannah. We get Carson peppered throughout the book. Ned's in it. Not not too much Ned. <laughs> Just prepare. enough. Just, Just enough. enough Ned that we have something to analyze and then he goes away and he's not in the rest <laughs> of the book, which is good. Yeah. I even, I cut him out of the summary. Because <laughs> I was he like, it's not important. I mean, <laughs> it's not important. No. <laughs> they just have like some car trouble and, or not. Oh, no, wait. Trouble with kidding. the car, but yeah. Just kidding. I kept that part. I was thinking about oh, okay. the phone call. The phone call. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. The phone call was just a fake out, but yeah. We do have secret passageways, hidden mm. rooms, secret gardens. So all of that felt like a Nancy Drew mystery, like classic story, but the mystery itself was so far removed from that that it was it was the slow read i'll be honest it's so true it's so true i mean this book really is a masterclass in how to write a nancy drew book a legit nancy drew book that includes all of the highlights of a normal nancy drew book Mm -hmm. without any of the positives (laughs) right without any anything interesting anything exciting we have a great best moment which i appreciate we do? Bess, like, single-handedly finds that hidden room. In the oh, attic. oh, that right. That was oh, right, all right, Bess's right, credit. Right, right. Yeah, Nancy and George were down ah! in the basement looking at, like, the wrong clue. And I mean, Bess I for sure, out. I for sure, yeah, agree that it was a great Bess moment. Or, or that it was, um, it was Bess single-handedly finding that room. But I don't necessarily <laughs> agree that it was a great Bess moment. Okay. <laughs> but That's fair. We'll talk about that, too. Yes. What was I going to say? Oh, the one. Okay. The one positive that I do have about this book is the illustrations are sure something. I, the cover illustration is beautiful Mm -hmm. and the interior illustrations are the most, well, I wouldn't say they're beautiful. They're very good, technically good, but they're very interesting to look at and talk about. So I would love to do that too. Yes. But so, yeah, the cover, you have the same cover that I do, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is the, oh, gosh. It's the Wanderer mm. edition, I think. Is it Wanderer? Yeah, okay, Wanderer. I always get confused between Wanderer and Minstrel. Um, but, yes, it is the Wanderer edition. And we even get illustrated by Ruth Sanderson. Oh, nice. At the very front, big, bold. We know for sure who did it. And I looked um, this person up, and they're actually, like, pretty um, pretty well lauded. Oh, wow. She does a lot of children's books illustrations. She's also done the Bobsy Twins. She's done some of the Hardy Boys. Nice. Yeah. So, very cool. Very interesting. Um, yeah, but so the cover is Nancy holding a lace cuff, um, looking at it. And in the background, we have what is presumably old-time... Belgium, with Francois Lefebvre looking down at her as if from back in time looking into the future. Um, and it's all misty and foggy and a lot of blues and greens. It's very beautiful um, with Nancy and Francois really standing out in bright colors. It's really nice. Um, and Nancy's redheaded on the cover! Yes! <laughs> Finally, a good good depiction. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. I, well, I will say she looks very interesting. Like it's it's a very different, um, probably model that they used for this Nancy than mm-hmm. you would normally kind of see. Um, I wouldn't call her like the the shape of her face doesn't seem like I would normally see Nancy on a cover. You know, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the haircut that's throwing me off. Maybe. 
I don't know. But overall, I really enjoy this cover. I think it's quite, quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, especially with like the castle in the background on the hill. They do even have a scene in the book where Nancy sees this painting that that's, well, it's not a painting behind her, but oh. the scene that's on the cover is in a painting in, in the story. It is? Hold on. Yeah. I'm confused now. Are you talking about the fountain or are you talking about the one in the museum? The one in the museum. Okay. Maybe I am just miss. Maybe I didn't pay enough close attention to what that painting actually looked like. <laughs> well, they they describe the painting in the museum. It's like, oh, it's Francois standing on a bridge. He's looking oh, over, okay. and there's the black okay, okay. shadowy figure behind him, like looming oh, over him. And wow, I didn't even see the black shadowy figure like in the cover of this. That's crazy. Okay, like okay, a Grim Reaper type hooded thing wow. looming over him. And it just looked like like a hill to me or something in the background. I didn't even notice that. That's that's nice. That's cool. Okay. To be fair, I didn't notice it until I was reading it in the story. And I was like, wait. And I flipped to the front. And I was like, yeah, that's that's the painting. Wow. Yeah, now once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Very cool. Way to go, Ruth Sanderson. Great, 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 great. I will say, too, that I feel like the depictions inside the book of Nancy, Bess, and George are way more accurate and believable than a lot of the other illustrations that we see of them in other books. Like, yeah. in these, they actually look like different people. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> just, not just the same girl copy-pasted in a different outfit. Right. Yeah. Okay, so three words. Lace, obviously. Lace, Belgium. Mm -hmm. uh, story contest? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Word. <laughs> I guess stories, I guess we could say. Yeah. Belgium lace stories. That's what this is. The Belgium yeah, lace story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, should we get started on our summary then? Let's do it. I just want to throw out a warning that I had a hard time with this one. I had a hard time following this book, so I'm worried that that maybe came through in That's the okay. summary. That so it may be a little fine. bit of a struggle to to get through it, but we'll sure try. <laughs> okay, so our mystery begins with Nancy. She's in her bedroom, and she's finishing up an invented solution to a mystery contest that a magazine published and is running. Um, Nancy shows her story to Hannah and Bess and George, who've all just shown up. She says that the mystery is published by the magazine begins with this man from Brussels named Francois Lefebvre. Back in the 19th century, he received a mysterious pair of lace cuffs and then disappeared without a trace, along with a very large sum of money. But in the fireplace of his bedroom, servants found burned fragments of letters and one in flowery handwriting said, turn your face to the lace of the cuffs secret dot 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 and then on another shred of paper was the word mary and so nancy came up with the ending to this story based on those clues basically this was already my first point of confusion was this <laughs> supposed to be a real story because the magazine's yeah. running this contest to see who can like write the ending to this mystery i thought it was just a fake made up scenario and they were trying to see who was the most creative i didn't realize that it was supposed to be like a real thing that actually happened i thought these were fictional yeah. characters and 
yeah, okay. I figured it out later on. It just was a lot. It took me a long time to realize that too. Like I was confused until Nancy started talking about like real people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, so this yeah. is real. It's real. It's real. It's also confusing because, yeah, they don't give us any like real details. We don't know the name of the magazine. We don't know like. Don't we? It's something not until Not until later. Oh, and okay. so it's just like a magazine contest. I'm like, okay, so is this important or is it not important? And like, we yeah. don't know like what the prize is really, or we don't know like why Nancy's entering. Right. It's very strange. Um, but Do anyway. Like knowing that Nancy's a writer. Yeah, sure. Sure. Cool. Great. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just, I interrupted your No, 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 there. you're good. It's just, it's just, it's so silly and I just don't care about it, you know? Like, I'm just like, why? Um, but anyway, so then Beth shares a letter with Nancy from her mother's old college friend, Madame Chambray. And here we go. We get another Madame and a story. <laughs> another Madame. And I just, why? With all the French ladies. I don't know. Um, but she's currently living in Belgium. What a coincidence, Corey. Right. <laughs> that Beth just happens to get a letter from a woman living in Belgium while Nancy is writing a story about someone in Belgium. Mm-hmm. I wonder where we're going to end up in this story. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but apparently, uh, Madame Chambray just found a valuable antique cross in her house and is trying to find its owner. Uh, apparently, it's not the former owner of the house. But as they're talking about all of this, they hear glass shattering and a painter who was working on painting the Drew's windows, like outside, falls to the ground. So they rush downstairs. Not the windows. I think, no, the shutters. I think think it's like window shutters. Yeah. Gotcha. Or or the trim potentially on the windows. Like they specifically said the windows. So yeah, no, no, they're not painting the glass (laughs) on the window. (laughs) They're painting like something around the window. It's very dark in the Drew home. (laughs) So they rush outside to try to like see if he's okay, if he's injured. But as soon as like they hurry over to him, he jumps up, runs over to his car and like takes off. Mm-hmm. Really weird. <laughs> so Nancy investigates a little bit and realizes that though it seems as though he definitely fell, he didn't have the paint can with him while he was like up. Otherwise the paint can would also be like splattered on the ground, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So what was he doing up there by Nancy's window without paint? Was he eavesdropping? Hmm. Hmm. Um, so like the window smashed or whatever when he fell. So they call the owner of the paint company He and he comes to look at the damage that was caused. Um, and he tells her that the painter returned the paint truck to him and quit on the spot. And when he asked him why he was quitting, he said he was going treasure hunting. He tells them that his name was Mady Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Who, like, I won't go too much into it, but apparently he was a former sailor. And we can only presume that that's why his name is Mady. Obviously. Because because he he was given the name Mady at birth, he had to become a sailor. (laughs) Like, there was just no other option for him. Um, I love that it's not even his nickname, like... Mady is supposed to be his real name, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a nickname. Mady Johnson. What? What? Okay. Oh, goodness. So Nancy decides for some reason that obviously this man was at her window because he was spying on her while she was telling 
Bess and George the the ending that she'd come up with to this magazine story. Um, and he is going to like try to steal her story from the magazine. So Nancy decides to hide her her story away in a closet, and she, Bess and George, decide to go to lunch. While they're at lunch, Nancy tells Bess and George a little bit more about her solution to the mystery. She says that in her story, she wrote that she thinks that Francois fled Brussels out of fear of marrying someone that he did not love, changed his name and his appearance, and moved to Brugge to study under a famous painter that he's a fan of. Bess says that they need to go to Belgium so that they can investigate Madame Chambray's cross. Um, oh, yeah. Bess is, like, absolutely <laughs> obsessed with this idea of this romantic love story mm-hmm. between these people way back in history. Um, so she says that they should go to Belgium because they need to investigate Madame Chambray's cross anyway. Um, and when they're there, they can walk down the same cobblestones that Francois did when he was living there. Uh, and then after lunch nancy decides that she needs to go home so that she can mail her manuscript to the magazine um and suddenly they notice a man is letting air out of nancy's tires um and he looks like Mady johnson (laughs) so they kind of rush over there but he takes off and gets away um and nancy of course worries that he's going to go back to her house and steal her manuscript So she is airing back up her tire. Um, And as she's doing that, Chief McGinnis happens to drive by. Oh, my gosh. Special appearance. Love it. Crazy random happenstance. Chief McGinnis. But so she leaves um, George and Bess with her car to finish fixing the tire. And the chief takes her back to her house. Um, They see that at her house, the ladder has been propped up again by her window and so nancy rushes inside and she finds not her manuscript but the letter that Bess had shown her from madame chambray is missing her manuscript is still there and safe but the letter is gone um so then she just goes to mail her manuscript um and stops by the paint shop to get Mady's address because she wants to i guess go track him down he's apparently been living with his friend andre berger but when they stop by it, it seems as though they have moved out. So he is missing. Mm-hmm. At home that night, it's just, this is such a weird part of the story. Uh, <laughs> they're all weird parts of the story. But that night, she gets like worried that her priority mail isn't going to make it to the magazine in time. Because apparently there's like a transit strike in New York going on. And I don't she know worries- how that would affect the Postal Service, but... Sorry. Anyway. But she also worries that like it's going to get intercepted. She's very paranoid about this manuscript, which I guess in retrospect she should be, but like how does she is does is Nancy psychic? Why right. is Nancy having these these feelings? But anyway, so she decides to mail a second copy to Aunt Eloise so Aunt Eloise can hand deliver it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just of this. (laughs) Maybe it's just an excuse to get Aunt Eloise into the story. I don't know. Maybe, and I definitely appreciate having Aunt Eloise and seeing more Mm -hmm. of her. But it seems like a lot to ask of your aunt to be like, "Can you wait around all day for the mail to come and then run this errand for me so that I can participate in something that's really not that important? Like, it's not like it's not like there's any major consequences if Nancy doesn't get to enter the contest. She would not get to be in the the contest." is like what's gonna happen if your manuscript doesn't make it in time nancy yeah you don't need any prize money nancy 
You mm-hmm. you can just fly to Belgium on a whim. You don't need to win a magazine contest. Right. I'm sorry. She even did say that she planned, if she won, she planned to donate yeah. all of her winnings to charity. Yeah. Which, like, that's nice and all, Nancy, but... But then why does it matter? She just wants the the pride, I guess? I don't know. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, but um, the next day, Nancy talks to Carson and he says, yes, you can go to Belgium with your friends. Go have fun. Um, and then she gets a call from Aunt Eloise and she tells her that she did ha- hand deliver her manuscript to the editor. So it's all good. They did receive it. But actually on her way to deliver it, when she got to the office, some random man came up to her and was like, is that Nancy Drew's manuscript? I can take it for you. I'll take it to the editor. Um, and Aunt Eloise was like, uh, no, I don't think so. I'd rather just hand deliver this to the editor myself so that I know that it got there. So thank Go you, Aunt, Aunt Eloise. Eloise. Looking yeah. out for Nancy, even though this is probably a huge hassle for you to travel all the way across New York when it sounds like the public transport is not running at the time, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, Okay, so she goes home and later that evening, she's trying to go to sleep and she hears like some strange like snipping sound like someone's trying to cut at something outside and she sits up in bed looks around and realizes that someone is cutting the screen on her bedroom window trying to break into the house. Terrifying. So scary. Is terrifying. This is the scariest thing to happen in the whole book. Um, you see on Oprah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Someone gosh. cutting snip, snip, snips, cutting the screen to your window to get into your bedroom. Ugh. Okay, but then what does Nancy do? Let's talk about this a little bit because this is fucking crazy. I'm sorry, <laughs> this is insanity. What does she do? One, she thinks she thinks to herself, hmm, maybe I should close the window so he can't get in. She thinks that, but then what does she do? She decides no. I don't want to do that because I don't want him to escape. She also doesn't call the police yet. She does eventually. But what she does is she runs into Carson's room and tells him about the intruder. And then they run back into Nancy's room. The thief has, I guess, made it inside by this point. Or thief, quote unquote thief. We don't know why he's there. He could be a rapist. We don't know. (laughs) And Carson tackles him. And then Nancy calls the police while Carson, like, has him pinned. But, like... What the hell? Okay, so first, let's just unpack this just for a second. So I get Nancy doesn't want to call the police. That's like Nancy's standard like operating procedure. Sure. I get it. She won't even try to prevent this unknown man from entering her bedroom at night? Right. Are we serious? Are we Is serious right now? it more right important now? to catch him than to be sure that you're safe first? Like, he could be coming to kill you, Nancy. He's probably he be- a murderer. You should He's assume probably that. probably a murderer. <laughs> Shut your freaking window. Ugh. Anyway, anyway. Maybe she didn't want to, like, get too close to the window because he could have tried to, like, grab her or something. Maybe. Through the maybe. hole in the screen. But then also... It's crazy to me that when she, she gets up and she runs out of the room, at that point, the person trying to get in doesn't decide to be like, oh, she woke up. I can't sneak in anymore. Or she's going to go call someone or alert someone. Mm-hmm. I should leave. Right. Instead, they decide to come into the house. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Ugh, sorry, this bothers me so much. I think <laughs> I think the reason why I get so uppity about like scenes like this or like lots of scenes in book Nancy Drew books where it's like 
the criminality doesn't make sense right. is because this is supposed to be a mystery story, right? This is mm-hmm. supposed to be about crime. And if the very like essence of like the story, which is, which is crime, doesn't make sense in the book, then what the heck are we here for? You know what I mean? Like what, what? We're just here for Hannah and Aunt Eloise. That's it. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Okay. So, the police come, and of course, the thief is Mady Johnson. He was there, I guess, trying to get her manuscript still or something, but he won't say anything to her, to the police. So the police arrest him and take him away. And Nancy is, of course, relieved that he's in custody, but she's still worried that he may have told his friend and roommate, Andre, about the letter already. And the next night, because <laughs> we just move so quickly and do things so <laughs> Sillily in these books, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are we not spending more time on the the person who just tried to get into your bedroom and potentially attack you, Nancy? Mm-hmm. Nancy Best and George decide to go with Ned, Dave, and Bert to a show and dance to benefit disabled children. <laughs> because we have to, we have to know and understand that these are the best people that just are in existence. They're they're just morally superior to everybody, anybody else. I feel like this is a very 80s thing for (laughs) teenagers to go to a like a prom essentially that's not put on by a school. It's just a dance that benefits something somehow for some reason. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, But so they go to that, but Ned and Nancy drive separately. And so the others arrive at the show before they do and they wait for them. But Ned and Nancy don't show up. Mm. And Bess mm. has a bad feeling that something terrible has happened to Nancy and Ned. And here we get another really great Bess's psychic moments. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> she's right. Yeah, yeah she's right. Uh, so the book kind of flashes back to Nancy and Ned's point of view from the time that they were leaving the house. They realize that they are being followed on their way to the theater and they try to lose the car that's trailing them. They end up hitting a roadblock and the car catches up to them. And for teenage hoodlums, as they say, quote unquote, yeah, jump out of the other car and like run up to Ned and Nancy, open the car doors and pull them out of the car. They start attacking Ned. I know it's awful. They start beating up Ned, essentially. And Nancy's able to kind of get out of one of the guy's grasps and run away and run for help um and once nancy is gone they decide to all four of them jump ned um and ned asks them what do you want and they're like obviously we're here to steal car parts from you we're gonna disassemble <laughs> your car so they start doing that they start taking the car apart um and while they're busy doing that ned is able to overpower one of them and drag him over to the bridge and threaten to push him over into the water if he doesn't tell his friends to stop what they're doing Uh, At this point, sirens sound in the distance. Nancy was able to get some help, and she arrives with the police. Ned asked the four guys why they're doing this, why they targeted them, and they said that their friend Sam Johnson made them do it. Nancy convinces the, or Nancy gets the police to arrest the four guys, and one of the guys says that they hate Nancy, which is just just like seething with fury, talking to Nancy, telling her that he hates her. Nancy's just like who are you? I've never even seen you before. I don't um, know you. <laughs> uh, but Nancy does realize that Sam Johnson must be Mady Johnson's brother, obviously. Um, but at this point they do, you know, get their stuff back together and get over to the dance to meet up with the rest of them. 
Yeah, and then that's pretty much it. They go to the dance, and then the next day they are ready. Nancy, Bess, and George are ready to go to Belgium. And they get on their flight. They have a layover in New York. Perfect. We get to stop and see Aunt Eloise anyway. Um, and Aunt Eloise says that the editor of the magazine actually called her and asked to meet with Nancy. Apparently, there's some serious charge that's been brought against her. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So the next morning, because I guess this layover is a long layover. They're able to stay with Aunt Eloise. (laughs) The next morning they go to the magazine office to see what this is all about. And at the office, Mr. Miller. Okay. This was confusing to me too. I don't really understand a lot of this. So I'm just going to do my best to explain. (laughs) I don't know if he is the editor or if he is one of the editors. I didn't know there were usually multiple editors to a magazine. Yeah, me neither. But maybe that's, that's what we're supposed to understand. I don't know. This guy, Mr. Miller, who works at the magazine, accuses Nancy of plagiarizing her story, saying that they received a very similar story from another entrant. And Nancy, super peeved, explains kind of the circumstances and that maybe like broke into her house and everything and shows him the receipt from the post office for whoever picked up her entry. It's like signed by someone at the office supposedly and the editor looks at it and realizes that the signature is actually not from someone at the office so he promises to try to like figure out what happened um, but he still can't enter nancy's manuscript into the contest unless things become clearer they uh, Bess and george who are there too with nancy are super indignant about this they're like what are you talking about nancy is like this wonderful detective and would never do something like this i can't believe you're accusing her of being a plagiarist you know she was gonna donate all of her winnings to a very worthy charity you're denying her this chance blah 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 blah. it's excessive (laughs) it's just such like a white woman thing (laughs) to do But they can't do anything about it. And so they go to Belgium. And at the airport in Brussels, the girls are retrieving their luggage. And Nancy sees her luggage coming down the conveyor belt. But what happens? Someone steals it. Of course, someone Mm -hmm. just steals the luggage. That's another trope we need to add. We need a list of Nancy's skills and a list of Nancy Drew tropes. Because stolen luggage, ruined dresses, threatening notes, Mm -hmm. secret passageways are all going on the list. Midnight intruders. Um, yep. Right. And so the thing is, is like, okay. <laughs> so, so little happens in between, like why they stay in uh, Brussels overnight mm-hmm. is just absolutely irrelevant. So literally I only have like one bullet point for the next chapter. So I'll just read it. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah. So someone steals Nancy's luggage. So they go to Brugge. And they get to Madame Chambray's home and they talk to her about the mysterious cross. And she tells Nancy that she's put an ad in the newspaper about it and mentioned Nancy Drew, the famous detective who would be visiting to look into it. So hilarious. Okay, I know we don't want to get too much into commentary. and I Please do. Pretty, Go for I it. have a lot already so far anyway, but... Why would you put an ad in the newspaper <laughs> saying, I found this super valuable diamond cross in my home. <laughs> if it's yours, contact me. I mean, okay. Why? I, I, 
I, it's hilarious, yes, and very badly uh, a bad idea. And Nancy kind of says that to her too, and she's like, "Well, you know, now people are going to know that I'm here, and now we can't really investigate as well." And, and you've also, alerted you a lot a of people. Of false claims to it, right? But I think I think the reason why she did that is because maybe this is a, a okay. The way I understand it is she's already a very wealthy woman to have purchased this old estate presumably mm-hmm. in Belgium and also like it, it just presumably presumably to me she's wealthy because like how can you oh, come across <laughs> you have this home and you come across this unbelievable probably unbelievably expensive antique cross that mm-hmm. has yeah is like gem encrusted and you're like hmm, what should I do with this I know I should try to track down the owner Instead of being like, hey, cool, I found this really expensive old antique in the old house I just bought. Guess I'm going to get some money out of this. All right. (laughs) You tell me you wouldn't immediately take that thing to an appraiser and be like, all right, how much? How much? I mean, I appreciate the the sentiment of trying to to rightfully or return things to their rightful owner. right, right, right. But in this case, the owner has been dead for like 150 years at least, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's yeah. Not... <laughs> yeah. It was in your home that you just purchased. You asked the previous, asked the owner. previous they owner. They said it's not ours. So I think it's yours because you yeah. bought the house. It was in the house. Everything in the house is yours now. Is that right? not how things right? work? I mean... Yeah. But so like my point with that is that <laughs> she, so she doesn't really see it as something that she should necessarily take a whole lot of like that isn't super important to her for some reason. So she's just like, I'm trying to find the owner. What's going to be the fastest way to try to find who might own this item. I know I'll tell everyone about it. Right. That just invites people falsely claiming that it's theirs when, you know, you really don't have a lot of information Mm -hmm. about it to verify and then inviting potential thieves into your home. Like if that happened to Nancy with the guy cutting the window open, Oh my gosh. Somebody's gonna try to break in and steal this. I feel like I don't know, but and they sure do. So. Yeah, well, yeah, they absolutely do. So, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely misguided. I just think that she probably just wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, when she did that. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Uh, at the house, Madame Chambray shows them the cross. It's made of lapis lazuli and diamonds. And she tells them that she found it in the cellar wrapped in cloth and tucked like into some stonework. And on the cloth that it's wrapped in is the name Antoinette Tissot. And it's got a sentence in French and Nancy translated it because Nancy obviously is a fluent French speaker. Don't forget <gasps> need that. To add that. I need to add that. It might already be on there for um, it might actually. Um, 99 steps. But um, the sentence in French is God will protect you wherever you go. They take a nap because. <laughs> yeah. You know, who doesn't need a nap? Uh, and Nancy decides to drag Bess and George down into the cellar with her to investigate. Um, they look around down there. Bess is creeped out by the weird sounds that are coming from weird places in the cellar. And they look behind them, or at one point they look behind them, and Bess has just disappeared. Bess is gone. A ghostly figure in the shape of a tall man appears suddenly. George and Nancy just rush at him. And he knocks both of them down and their flashlights like hit the floor and go out. Once they're able to find their flashlights, because they have to kind of feel around in the dark, uh, they get the flashlights back on and he is gone. Bess is nowhere to be found. 
Um, eventually, they do hear a muffled noise from under the stairs, and they find a door there. They open it. Bess is inside. She's bound and gagged, and she says that a man dressed as a ghost came out of there, grabbed her, pulled her in there, and tied her up. Okay. <laughs> why we don't know we still don't know we never learn why this happened why this man ghost decided Mm. to do this just the best but okay um so they go upstairs and madame chambray agrees to call the police about the intruder and they ask her if her house is like connected to the canals she says she doesn't know (laughs) because she hasn't been in the house for very long um but it seems possible um, because there's a lot of like nooks and crannies in the house. Okay. How, what? how do you not explore every inch of the new house that you purchased? It must be massive. Just utterly huge. I just can't picture it. I can't, if, if I had by some amazing luck or I win the lottery and I'm able to purchase some beautiful grand estate with multiple rooms the first thing i'm doing is walking through every room looking for secret passageways now i know this and not everybody is nancy drew not everybody would do that but i would at least know all of the rooms that exist in this new place that i have purchased you You would at least know if your house connects to the canals like underground canals that is a pretty significant uh landmark i guess i don't know you would know if that's (sighs) You would hear it, I would think. <laughs> yeah, you would know. You would know. <laughs> anyway, anyway. I just moved in. I haven't had time to go downstairs yet. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Nancy is like, say no more. Um, I'm, I'm going to find your secret passageways. And so she and George go back into the basement. But so when they're down there, they, of course, find a door. That doesn't seem like a secret passageway, but just a door that nobody knew was there. Whatever. And it leads to a tunnel that's filled with shallow water. And apparently they think someone could have waded through this easily to get into the house, right? I'm so confused about the <laughs> setup here and you how... Because they're in the basement. Yeah. So that makes me think we're below water level. Mm. If the canals are like the first floor, ground floor level, right? Mm. Yeah. So is this some sort of like lock system where you can access the canals? Like, does it drain somehow if it's like ankle deep with water and they can wade through? I don't. That's a great question. I don't know a whole lot about the setup of this city, right? Mm-hmm. But it does. I do remember specifically they took a boat to get to this house. Mm-hmm. And unless they had to then like walk up a hill. Which right. possibly, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't, maybe it's doesn't like make on the side of a hill somehow. Maybe. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, so maybe one house is like, or one side of the house is like technically underground because it's on the side of the hill, but this side it just goes out into the canal somehow. But I don't know. It's weird. That is very weird. They do have a long ordeal thing where they go through the history of canal building in Brussels. Oh, they do. And- I skip. I must have skipped that part. <laughs> Like many pages on the histories and constructions of canals. My gosh. Later on in the day, Madame Chambray has organized for some of her friends to come over for a special dinner where they can meet Nancy, Bess, and George. Um, So the three of them go upstairs to start getting ready for dinner. Then the guests arrive. We meet Professor Philip Permecki. 
Pramiki. Uh, no yeah. <laughs> he is actually an expert on the history of Bruga. He also brings his daughter Hilda and then one of her friends from school whose name is Joseph Stolk. During the dinner, they're, you know, talking about what brought them here. Nancy brings up this story of Francois Lefebvre and Madame Chambray looks absolutely shocked because apparently she found a will in the house. Um, and we learned that this was actually his house previously. So <laughs> what a coincidence. I Corey. know. Just the serendipity of this whole <laughs> mystery. Nancy is immediately like, oh my gosh, please, can I see this will? And Madame Chabray is like, yeah, of course, it's in my desk upstairs, but I lost the key. So effectively, no, you can't see it. And so that's also so stupid. Such a stupid plot point, too, because literally she's just like, oh, no, no, I just lost it. I'll find it again later. And she does. She finds it like the next day and they're able to look at it later. Mm -hmm. Why? Why can't she just say, yeah, I'll bring it out for you tomorrow? Right. I don't know. I don't know why we had to delay the reading of the will, but they do read the will. Um, we learned that he left his fortune to his wife, but part of the will says that the location or the part of the will that has the location of the treasure on it, because by the way, there's a treasure that is just now being mentioned. And they don't say what it is either. Right. They don't say what, what is left to his wife. Like they don't say what the, what the contents of her inheritance are right it's just this fortune but that piece of the page has been torn off so we don't we don't know where it is but then the next morning nancy's luggage is delivered from the airport they were able to recover it yeah we were super worried about that so (laughs) so nancy looks through it and nothing seems to be missing so she calls the airline to ask what happened and apparently when someone in brussels found it in an alley it was apparently dumped there that's it so someone just stole her luggage and just put it in an alley maybe hoping that her manuscript was in there possibly well the reason the reason we find we find out the reason later and it's a stupid ass reason so oh, okay. that See, what you remember. said Corey, is a better reason than the reason that we get at the end of the story <laughs> so anyway so that day the girls go with hilda the friend they met the other night to learn about lace yep we get the most boring page pages long uh lace lesson the whole chapter but I, so I'm not going to tell you any of that. I'm going to spare you. Just know that we're just supposed to understand that lace back in the day was very expensive and sought after. Well, that's, that's a it. very, um, yeah, it's a very specific skill. So it makes sense, right? No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I get it. I get why. I just don't think that we needed all the explanation. I think we could have just had a, a sentence from Hilda that was like, oh, yeah, back in the day, lace was very expensive and very sought after. Right. <laughs> Instead of pages upon pages of like, this is how they make lace and look at how they make the patterns in the lace. And you can buy lace from here. You can buy lace from here, but they're called two different things. And some lace is this, but some lace is not this. And this is the very expensive lace, but this is not the expensive lace. So you need to know what you're looking for when you're looking for expensive lace. It's like, oh my God, (laughs) don't care. I don't care. Let's go over the structure of the loom that's used. Yes, they do. They do. They (laughs) They do. do. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so they they go on their little lace shopping trip. As they go to leave a lace shop, Nancy notices that a man in a raincoat is kind of watching them. (sighs) Okay, and then they go to a museum. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, apparently a lace museum. And while they're there, Nancy sees that the same man is following them still. So they like tuck out of the room for like a second to see if the man, like, I guess, continues the tour downstairs or something. Mm-hmm. But then when they look back in the room, they see he's gone, which I'm like, so doesn't this mean that he did go downstairs? But no, they realize that he's actually escaped out onto the balcony on a rope. So <laughs> apparently, I don't know how they realize this exactly. I guess they see him holding it. He has stolen a very expensive lace ruff that the museum has had on display. Why? Corey, I don't know. Corey, I don't know. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the rest of the lace and the mystery. Mm-mm. Just because he's a thief and he just wanted to steal something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't, There's literally no explanation. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the rest of the mystery. It It just seemed like because he's a bad guy, he had to do something bad. Yep. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, I guess. Well, they um, they see he running away with this lace, so they race downstairs after him. They catch up to him on this bridge, and she and George, or Nancy and George are able to subdue the man, pull all the lace out of his pockets, and steal everything back from him. I guess he's shoved in his pockets, whatever. Nancy takes the lace back to the museum, and George continues running off after this guy, but she's held up by a group of young men, literally. Um, literally. Yeah, and the guy was able to get away. We'll have to talk about that later, too, because I have yeah. some thoughts. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, but then they go to they go to an art museum. <laughs> Can't let this stop our sightseeing tour, so. Nope. Uh, but when they're in the art museum, they happen upon a painting that happens to be the cover of our book here. So um, we see Francois Lefebvre. He's wearing his magnificent lace cuffs and his red coat that he was so known for doing apparently back in the day. And Nancy pulls out her magnifying glass and zooms in on the cuffs to see if there's any clue because she thinks that there must be some secret message embroidered into this lace or made well, based into on- a lace pattern. It's based on the what the magazine said, which there was like a secret message in the cuffs. I don't know if I mentioned right. that before. There's supposed to be a secret message in the lace cuffs. So yeah. that's why. We don't know what it is. So Nancy tries to see if she can see what it is. Right. Can I just say, though, too, that like this picture isn't labeled as being Francois Lefebvre. Right. They just see this this painting and assume that it's Francois Lefebvre. Doesn't someone confirm that for them? So, okay. Let me... I feel like someone tells them later on that, yeah, that that is supposed to be him. So, yeah, let me... No, 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 no. Okay. They don't... They actually don't know who it is. So, let me find it. Okay. I'm just going to read this to you. Suddenly, an oil painting caught Nancy's eye. It was a striking portrait of a gallant young man with a mustache. He was wearing a red velvet jacket with a lace jabot. J-A-B-O-T, I don't know. And cuffs. Look over here. This is just how I imagined Francois Lefebvre to look. Who is that behind him? You know, shadowy black robe or whatever. I wonder who the artist is. There's no name on the picture, only initials. And apparently the picture is La Cavalier. I can't speak French. Um, It's okay. The Cavalier and the Black Ghost. And they ask the curator about it, and they're like, you know, no, I don't know who sold this to the museum. I can't tell you. But they say that it was done by a man named Dirk Gelder, 
and and it was commissioned by the man's girlfriend because her beau was an ardent admirer of Gilder. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all we know about it. So they just assume that based on that, it's Francois. Because well, we also know that Francois did move to Brugge to, right. to kind of study after this painter. Yes. But that's all that they, that's the, like, I'm sorry, but like how many, how, I'm, if this was a famous painter, I'm sure he had many other students and many other admirers that would want to be painted by him. This is also like the 1700s. Right. So I bet you every single highfalutin man in the 1700s wore lace cuffs. Right. Like. <laughs> exactly. It seems highly, highly. I don't know the word to describe it. It seems stupid to assume that that this is this is Francois, but whatever they do, it's like seeing a picture of a man with a, a powdered wig on and being like, "That must be George Washington. That's yes. got to be him." You He's know, wearing like, the wig. He right. had a wig. <laughs> it's him. Yeah. Somebody painted a picture. Who who else would somebody paint a picture of? <laughs> who else was notable in that time? Nobody. Nobody except wigs back then. Right. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Nancy's looking at the cuffs and she does see there is a hidden message in the cuffs. So I guess this is further confirmation that this is Francois. Um, But it just says, like, I love you in French. Um, And Nancy also notices, like, a strange geometric pattern on it. So, okay, whatever. Cool. Later that night, back at uh, Madame Chambray's house, she shows them the will. Finally, she's able to get it out of the desk. And they learn that Francois' wife was someone named Elaine Warrington. And Corey, what do you know? Elaine Warrington is actually a famous actress. Mm-hmm. She Wasn't she a famous actress back in the day? So conveniently, so convenient. She should be very easy to find information on. Right. So they're going to look into that. But first, Corey, first they have to go to dinner at Hilda's house. Mm-hmm. So at dinner, they're discussing the painting um, that they saw that day. And the professor, Hilda's father, knows that the woman who commissioned the painting was named Antoinette Tissot. And they all gasp in shock because this is the name that was embroidered on the cloth that was wrapped around the antique cross. So now we have a firm connection between the painting, who we assume is Francois Lefebvre, and the antique cross in the home that once was Francois Lefebvre's home, right? Okay. Um, so I then- feel like Nancy's just figured it out so far, and she's just looking for more confirmation that it's really them. Right. Whatever. Yeah. So then they go watch this weird parade thing on boats. They don't explain what this is. They, we don't know, is this, is it a holiday? Is this just something they do every night? Like, what's going on? But they're like boats going by in the canal that are all decorated, kind of like floats of a parade, I guess, some kind of procession. Um, And on one of them is a man dressed as a ghost. (laughs) Like the man that was in the cellar. He's holding a package. And when... (laughs) When it passes, he throws the package to Nancy and Nancy opens it. And inside there's a toy dagger and a note that says, stop interfering or you will get this. This is the worst threat ever. <laughs> I get a toy. <laughs> I get a to- one of those toy daggers that squeaks when you, when you like put it in. <laughs> Have you ever used one of those? They're so funny. 
Yeah, I, I just remember we we used them. They were props for a play that we did in in high school. The kind that like look that like retract into the hilt oh, when you stab yeah. somebody, and they always made squeaking noises because they were <laughs> so cheap. Because you could hear the springs inside. That like when you were stabbing someone, it made like the ee 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 noise like in a <laughs> horror movie. <laughs> Sorry, that's a random aside. Also, how is she interfering? Other people are interfering with her. She's, She's just, just on in vacation Belgium. in Bruges. Or Bruga. What do you want? She went to a museum you stole from the museum. <laughs> Nancy didn't do that. Stole some lace that has nothing to do with anything, by the way. But whatever. <laughs> anyway, so they go home after that because, of course, that doesn't change their behavior at all. One, because, yes, it was a terrible threat. And why would it? And two, because when has a threat ever stopped Nancy from doing anything? So they go home and they realize that a first floor window is open. So Nancy is like, wait outside. I'm going to go investigate, which I don't know why Nancy is, is the one who would be safer. He was like, you should maybe send George in if we're following our trope, send George. Right. Right. But Nancy goes in to investigate and they find that the antique cross has been stolen. Of course it was. Of course it has. Of course it has been stolen. They make a police report and Nancy starts to wonder, oh gosh, maybe they stole the will as well. So they go look for it. Luckily, it is still there. So that's fine. Uh, The next morning, Nancy calls Carson on the phone and asks him to research a little bit more about Elaine Warrington. Carson also tells her that this man named Frieden, the person who submitted the other version of the newspaper story that Nancy supposedly plagiarized off of, That guy is actually friends with someone who works at that newspaper or works at that magazine named Herbert Brock. Um, And it's unclear why either of them would have anything to do with this magazine story or with the lace or with the cross, but whatever. Carson tells Nancy what Herbert Brock looks like. And she's like, oh, that must be the man from the museum that stole the lace. Um, Nancy, Bess, and George decide to go to the library to look up more information on Elaine Warrington because we have to do double duty, even though Carson's already looking into it. (laughs) Uh, But on the way there, Nancy notices a man wearing cowboy boots. And she's like, hmm, that man that broke into into the basement by the canals and tried to kidnap Bess was also wearing cowboy boots. You know, maybe maybe that's him. So I'm just going to go up to him, start talking to him and see how he reacts. Um, so she starts talking to this guy, subtly brings up Rock and Frieden, asks if he knows them for whatever reason. But he seems friendly and sincere. Nancy decides that maybe he is sincere or maybe he's just a good actor because the guy mentions that he wants to be an actor or something. Yeah. We also learn that he's from Texas. He says that, no, we don't learn that he's from Texas. We learn that he recently moved to Dallas, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing because later Nancy is <laughs> like, Nancy's like, did he speak with a Texan drawl? Well, he wouldn't if he only just moved if he there, just but whatever. <laughs> also, most people in Dallas don't speak with a super Texan drawl. Right, or wear cowboy <laughs> boots everywhere, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but at the library, once they get there, they learn that Elaine married a man named Friedrich Vonderlicht, who Nancy assumes maybe that's the name that Francois took on when he moved to Brugge because he wanted to kind of change his identity and everything. But they learned that she moved to the U.S. and or after he died, she moved to the U.S. and eventually ended up dying penniless there, uh, meaning that she never inherited any sort of fortune or money or estate or anything from Francois. They go back to Madame Chambray's house where they decide 
to search the basement again for some reason and discover that the door to that tunnel that they were able to wade through before, they had previously locked it to make sure that nobody was able to get in, but they found that the door was unlocked and the key that they'd left in the door for some reason is now missing. (sighs) Yep. Um, And then meanwhile, Bess, who was left upstairs because she didn't want to go back down into the basement where she was attacked. Reasonably so. Um, She decides to investigate by herself. She's like, no, you know what? I'm, I ain't no chicken. I'm going to go upstairs while they're downstairs. So she's walking up this staircase and she hears like a shuffling sound, like someone is in the room above her. So she keeps going up, which if someone, if you think someone is up there, why would you, why would you, I don't know. She keeps going up there, but there's nothing there. There's not even a room. It's just like, just like the landing and there's like a small window, but like there's no doors or anything. She has like this very funny like moment with a spider where she (laughs) it's like a spider and she freaks out and she like brushes it off herself or whatever. And then as she does that, she notices a small crack in like the wall. Mm -hmm. Well, the spider like crawls behind it. So that's why she's suspicious of, of the wall. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't, I just thought that. She decides to rip the wallpaper off the wall. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Best you're visiting this home of this woman that you've never met. Here, let me rip your wallpaper down. Excuse me? Classic Best would have asked for permission first, but whatever. Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, but so she does that and she finds a panel that looks like it swings open. Um, she tries to push on it, but it's stuck. Um, So she calls the others to join her and Nancy like works at it and they're about to get it open um, when Madame Chambray calls them uh, like downstairs. She's acting like weirdly sad. Um, She says she found the owner of the cross and but before Nancy can ask more Carson calls, he says that a descendant from Francois has been located and is traveling to Bruga to receive the cross. I don't understand how this happened. Like who found also him so quickly? Yeah. Who told him? Like what? What's that about? And she also doesn't ask Carson those questions. I, I don't understand why. Um, but Carson does describe this person, and she thinks that this might be the man in the cowboy boots that they met in the street earlier. Like why? Like I, because he. Anyway, Carson said he's, like, Southern and from Dallas. So she's like, oh, it's the band from Dallas in the cowboy boots, which is, like, fine, whatever. But, like, it's just, it's so random. Anyway, so they, Nancy goes back to Madame Chambray. Um, she's got, like, her head in her hands, and she looks really upset. And she explains that she received a threatening letter saying that if the girls don't leave, basically they'll burn down her house. Mm-hmm. And so she tells the girls, you need to leave. It's not safe here. Um, And also, side note, I don't want my house burned down. Um, And she says that besides, you know, we found the owner of the cross. He's located and he's coming. And Nancy asks her if he has a southern accent. Because cowboy. Texan (laughs) brawl, right. Because cowboy boots man was southern. And she says no. And so Nancy is like, okay, so whoever you spoke to is an imposter. This doesn't make sense to me also. I'm really confused as to the order of events here. So could because we really have located so we have a we have a true heir and we have a fake heir. And somehow they both came to to being at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. And happened to look similar, apparently. And both of them have cowboy boots. <laughs> and I 
and the only the only marked difference between them is one of them has a southern accent and one one of them doesn't but like how are we supposed to know which one is real and which one is not right is it just that one of them has a southern accent but how do we know that the true heir has a southern accent carson didn't say he had a southern accent he just said he was from dallas well, Nancy talked to him and decided he was sincere after a brief conversation. So obviously that's the real, real error. Okay. All right. Nancy is listening to Madame Chambray and she says, all right, fine. We will leave if you really want us to, but please give us until tomorrow at least to investigate. If we still haven't found anything by then, we will leave. And she agrees. And she also gives them permission to go back upstairs and open that panel in the attic. They do get it open and they find a big room behind it. It's full of a bunch of boxes and old furniture, a bunch of antique stuff. Um, And they start looking through everything to see if they can find any clues there. They find a bunch of letters addressed to Francois, his personal journal, and his lace cuffs. As they're looking through everything, Bess happens to notice a man's face like peering through the skylight in the ceiling. And she's like, oh my gosh, there's a man spying on us. And they look up and they're like, oh, we don't see anybody. He must have left. So it's fine, right? Um, And they consider telling the police, but they don't. They just ignore it. It's kind of weird. But Nancy starts reading through Francois's diary and finds out that Elaine Warrington, the actress who Francois was married to, is actually her real name was Antoinette Tissot. She changed her name because her family was disapproving of her, her marriage to Francois and they didn't want her to become an actress. So she decided to change her name so that they would not no, or not have the shame of having a daughter that was an actress and also married, whatever. <laughs> um, but at the end of the diary, Nancy finds a description of a painting of a walled garden. But um, Nancy decides that this garden must be where this fortune or treasure must be. So she asks Madame Chambray, like, is there a garden anywhere around? Does this sound familiar to you? And she's like, yeah, there's a garden on the grounds here, actually. Let's go. Uh, so they go out there and there's this big stone fountain in the middle of the garden and they decide that it's under there. So they start moving it and they dig under there. Um, and then suddenly Nancy accidentally hits a water line with her shovel <laughs> and the water comes spurting out of the ground, sprays Nancy, everything's all wet um, and kind of like disrupts their plans to keep digging. <laughs> yeah the so nancy like jumps back from the water and as she like jumps back she sees a man over the garden wall watching them um but obviously they have like this spewing pipe issue and so <laughs> madame chambray goes in to call the water department which i, I didn't know there was a water department i know there's a fire department <laughs> um I mean, no i mean water like the utility city. services right you call the city different. but yeah. whatever and a repairman, get this, Corey, makes it out to the house within 15 minutes of the phone call. Thankfully. In what universe, in what universe does a repairman come to your house in 15 minutes flat? Right. He fixes the pipe, but he says the ground won't dry out until tomorrow, so the girls can't keep digging, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why this is, but okay. So they decide to go look for the man who was watching them. They go around to the back of the house and they see a man in a small boat in the canal. They, I guess, can tell that this is him from that far away. And they can't, but they, but he's already like driving off. But they do see that the name of the boat is the White Flower. So they call the police and ask for the name of the man who owns this boat and his address. And the police just give it to them. Uh, 
I didn't know you could call the police like a phone directory and just have them tell you information about people, but apparently you can. Um, that happens in Crocodile Island too, doesn't it? They well, it's like is it the do they go to the navy or something? Oh yeah, it's not the police. It's some like boat registry. Still, still whatever. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> anyway, um, so they decide to go visit this man. Um, his name is Theo Schlinger. That's not important, but uh, that's his name. Um, yeah. So they go over there, and he's not the man who they saw in the boat. And he explains that actually he regularly rents out his boat. And he rented it out today to a man called Berger. Great. Okay. So this is Andre Berger. He says that all he knows about this guy is that apparently he told him this is his last day in Bruga. Um, and he's supposed to be flying back to New York tonight. So the girls are like, okay, hmm. It could be that Mady Johnson, you know, did show Mrs. Marvin's letter to his roommate, Andre Berger, and Berger flew to Bruga and has been the one who's been following us and everything. Um, maybe he's the one who stole the cross and he thinks, you know, that's enough treasure or whatever and it's going to fly home. Or he lied and it's not actually his last day in Bruga. Right. Then they decide to go to a bookstore to get gifts for their boyfriends. Corey, they did call them their boyfriends this time. They did, yeah. Which is something we also have to talk a lot about later because I have some things to say. Yes. Um, but they, because they think this is like the only chance they're going to have to get them gifts, which because like, they're supposed to leave tomorrow. But I guess, but like, ugh, whatever. They, so they go to get them gifts at this bookstore. Um, and while they're there, Nancy spots cowboy hat guy who she thinks is Francois' great grandson, the, the heir, the real How heir. How convenient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She goes over to him and asks, hey, is your name Cody Vaughn? Which is supposedly, it, do we get that from Carson? Where did that so. come from? Yeah Carson. yeah, Carson says that that is his name. And the guy's like, yeah, that is my name. How did you know? And Nancy explains everything to him. Like, hey, you know, we're staying at this house that we think belonged to your great grandparents. Will you come to the house to see it and help us look for this missing cross? And he agrees. So they go to the house and notice that they can see through the window, Madame Chambray's there. And then there's also, it looks like there's a man there talking to her. So they decide to enter quietly so that they don't spook this other guy off. And they hear a noise from upstairs. But then she knows that Madame Chambray and the man are in the parlor. So she tells Bess and George, you go upstairs and look to see what's going on. While I'm going to go introduce Cody Vaughn to Madame um, they listen in on the conversation between Madame Chambray and this visitor and realizes that he is telling the story that Nancy wrote for the magazine contest. So at this point, she goes into the room and introduces Cody as Francois' descendant. And the visitor, who ends up being Mr. Rock, um, jumps up and, and flees. He runs out of the house. As he's leaving, the cross actually falls out of his pocket because he was stupid enough to bring it <laughs> with him to claim to be the heir whatever. Um, but Nancy gets the cross at, at the expense of just letting him get away because she can either grab it or or go after him. Um, and they alert the authorities to be on the lookout for him, whatever. Uh, but meanwhile, Bess and George upstairs, they go up to the third floor, up to the hidden room in the attic, um, and they notice that the lace cuffs are missing. They assume that the intruder has already escaped through the skylight with cuffs because there's like a chair pulled up to under where the skylight is. But then the man appears. Beth shouts for help and Nancy and Cody come up and help tackle the man and realize that this is Andre Berger. 
<laughs> they fight um, and kind of struggle a little bit. I think Berger gets a good punch off on Cody or something, and it's kind of it's tense for a minute. But eventually they're able to subdue him. And they, um, Bess goes downstairs to call the police again, I guess, while the man explains. And this is where we get our solution to this mystery. But it's not really, that. <laughs> it's not really a solution because it doesn't really explain anything. Um, but he says that he is both Andre and Paul Frieden. And that Paul Frieden is actually like a fake name. He just came up with it. Apparently, Rock, Herbert Rock, I think that's his name, is... Mm-hmm also an editor at this magazine or works at this magazine somehow. I was very unclear about that. But Rock and himself actually created the contest, like came up with the contest and put it on because they knew there was this mystery in Bruga. And so I don't understand why. It would have been helpful to for Nancy to have suspected that a while ago mm. and things would have fallen into place a little bit sooner, but whatever. But I don't, I still don't understand the reason, right? Like why would you publish this in a magazine? What's the purpose? Presumably to get people to try to solve the mystery for you, but right. they're just making things up. Right. Maybe it's not they're real. hoping that someone will get close enough to the truth that they can look into things. But then, you know, Nancy writes this story and they immediately assume that it's all 100% accurate and they need to follow what she wrote. I don't get it. I don't get it. So anyway, so they do that. um, And then so they also try to get Nancy's entry and submit it themselves or under this fake name of Paul Friedan, because they think that if Nancy's accused of plagiarism, she'll stay in New York to prove like that she's not a plagiarist. And then they could go to Bruga to search for the treasure in the will. But so they already know about the will. That's my thing is like, I know they, so they stole Madame Chambray's letter that Beth left Nancy's house. So I know that they learn about the will at that point. Mm -hmm. But like, why, if they didn't know that there was already a treasure, why would they put the, Put this mystery in the magazine. And how did they know that Nancy would enter the contest? And the guy, so, so Andre Berger just happens to be the roommate of Mady Johnson, who just happened to be painting the window outside Nancy's house, who happened to overhear this. It doesn't make any sense. It's all a huge coincidence. It doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make any sense. Um, But so obviously that didn't work. She didn't stay in New York to prove her innocence. And so instead they just try to like stall Nancy and like trip her up the rest of the way. They stole her luggage. You know, Rock pretended to be the ghost and watch the girls. And that's it. That's all we learn. That's all we get explained. And the police come and take him away. Mm -hmm. Nancy gives Cody the antique cross and they make some jokes about how the rest of his inheritance is just like the rusty birdcage in the corner of the room. Yeah. But then Nancy realizes that actually the geometric pattern on the birdcage looks very similar to the geometric pattern that they saw on the lace cuffs in the painting at the art museum. Mm -hmm. And it also like the beams on the ceiling, like help like create that geometric pattern as well. So Nancy looks at the hook on stuck into the beam where the birdcage would have hung previously. And she doesn't, 
So she like goes, she like accidentally trips and falls and grabs onto the hook to like balance herself, to like stop herself from falling. And as she does that, it rips out of the ceiling and scatters this quote unquote treasure, which they also still don't really describe. We're just right. supposed to kind of understand it to be a bunch of valuable jewelry. All of mm-hmm. that falls onto the floor. <laughs> also, the birdcage is solid gold for some reason. Oh, it is? <sighs> I didn't catch that. Let me find it. <laughs> How would you like this old birdcage? Best giggled. Now I'll have to buy a bird. Mm. The cowboy laughed. Nancy stared at it open mouth. It was a magnificent birdcage, and beneath the ears of tarnish was gold. Oh, tarnish, tarnish. Okay. Yeah, so she like wipes it off and sees that it's gold. So how is this birdcage not too heavy for the hook that Nancy couldn't even grab onto? Oh, yeah, it I don't know. But whatever. <laughs> well, it wasn't up there anymore. It was on the ground. Right, but so... originally it would have been very heavy. And if this beam is as hollow as it would need to be for all this jewelry to That's be inside, true. how That's did it true. ever hold it up? But whatever. Um, yeah, so the treasure's on the floor and Cody is like, oh, hey, cool. You know, my inheritance. And then he, like, insists that the girls in uh, Madame Chambray all take a piece as thanks for for what, I don't know, he just met these girls five minutes ago. But they do. Mm, oh, you know, thank you so much, Cody. You're so generous. They could have had all of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, they have a party the next day. It's weird. The girls fly back to the to the states, and then at home, Nancy gets a call from Mr. Miller, the other editor at the magazine, and he tells her that she won the magazine contest. And she's like, "Oh, great! Now I get to actually donate the prize money, or whatever." And she tells him, "Well, now I've solved the real mystery. I'll write the actual ending to the story." And Mr. Miller's like, "Great! I'll publish it." <laughs> and fiend. The end. Yep. <laughs> Uh, where do we start um well we've talked about how incomprehensible it is and i think hopefully after reading that summary y'all should understand that as well and i also don't i don't want to have to think about it anymore because it hurts (laughs) my brain so instead (laughs) let's talk about let's see uh, how horrible the fat shaming of Bess is. In oh, this yes. Book. I was going to say Bess. We need to talk about her. We're talking about Bess. Um, there are several more moments where George makes fun of her figure. At one point, George like is trying to like hold the pipe so that it stops leaking. Shows Bess, hey, come down here and sit on it so that it stops. Yeah, when the water is like flowing out and Nancy breaks it with her shovel. You're so fat. Come sit on the pipe, fat ass. Like... She doesn't say that, but that's the tone. Yeah. (laughs) That's the tone. There is one point where Bess is like visually shaken by how cruel George was with what she said to her. Make some comments. Um, There's a a moment where Bess is, they're like walking in New York past some like really pretty stores or something. And Bess is like looking at the pictures of some of the clothes and the models wearing them and she goes oh i wish i could look like that and george says you could if you stopped eating and then they say best pretends not to notice that's so fucking sad it's awful there and there's more than that like oh yeah there's like five or six instances of this they also, yeah, they make allusions to her being a chicken a lot, too. Yeah. And Bess feels like she has to defend herself from that. And she does stuff that maybe she wouldn't. 
because she doesn't want to be labeled as a chicken. Um, yeah, it's just sad. Yeah, poor Bess. Hashtag team Bess. We're on your side, Bess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so in, in chapter two, Nancy is, like, talking about her, you know, the story that she made up for the magazine. Um, and she says, like, I understand that marriages are still arranged in some countries. Like, you know, saying that, like, Francois had, like, potentially an arranged marriage he was, like, trying to get out of. And George says, well, I'm glad I don't live in one of them. And then Bess saw a chance to tease her cousin. I'm sure Bert is equally happy about it. So Bess, Bess is like, yeah, I bet Bert's happy not ha- not to have to marry you. <laughs> Woo, Bess. <laughs> I kind of took it as like, uh, you can choose who to date rather than having to marry some other guy. because oh. <laughs> Otherwise, Bert wouldn't be able to date you kind of thing. Because oh. Francois was supposed to be marrying some other woman, but was in love with Antoinette Tissot. And that's why they ran away together. I don't know. That's kind of how I took it, but I definitely see it that way as well. I read it like, you have to marry Bert, and I bet Bert's happy he doesn't have to marry you. But (laughs) that is also a fair reading. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and the relationship between Bess and George. Again, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. It does seem like a relationship in where George teases Bess a lot, and Bess takes it. But the teasing doesn't feel... it, It doesn't feel comfortable or friendly or funny or it just feels mean it feels like george is mean and i just don't know is this just like uh we don't like this doesn't resonate with us because we are obviously we live in you know 2021 and we obviously see this stuff as being awful Mm -hmm. whereas in 1980 people would have been like oh yeah that's how me and my friends talk about each other you know which is awful and i'm glad we don't still do that but like (laughs) would we feel less awful about this relationship if it was actually 1980 i don't know Mm -hmm. i just don't like it i don't know yeah george also calls her lazy bones at one point because it's early in the morning and they're all jet lagged and bess is still in bed okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do also really want to talk about this whole boyfriend thing and the weird flirting that happens throughout this book Mm -hmm. so at the very beginning of the book we definitely don't refer to them as boyfriends we say like dates special date favorite date we date all the time special Mm -hmm. friend is used but then at the end of the book we definitely progress to boyfriend Mm -hmm. like at a certain point hilda they're like at dinner and hilda asks them or something or george brings up that Bess has a boyfriend Mm mm-hmm and Nancy, and then they go shop for gifts for their boyfriends. Right. So we make that switch. But also, it, while we're in uh, Belgium, some very um, sketchy flirting stuff happens. Oh, yeah. So when Hilda comes over and she brings her beau, I forget his name, Joseph something, I think. Yeah, I think it's Joseph. Bess immediately starts making eyes at this boy. Mm-hmm. Like, she's into him, she gets giggly or whatever, flirty, asks him what he's doing tomorrow. And then George is like, kind of like, whoa, easy, Bess, you have a boyfriend. And Hilda gets territorial because she's dating this guy. Yeah. It's very weird. And then later, Cody, the cowboy boot, actual real Francois heir, Mm -hmm. 
he is dating this girl. He has this girl with him in Bruga. Nancy Bess and George never meet her, but they see her in the shop where he is. And then he says, oh, I have a date with a girl later. You know, so this cross thing can't take too long, basically. Right. Um, but he starts flirting with George. He yeah. makes eyes at George and George gets all giggly and they flirt with each other. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Doesn't What's she ask him to on? cancel his date as well or something? Well, Nancy asks him to because she thinks that the the situation with the cross is going to get dangerous or something. And she doesn't want oh, him gotcha. to invite his girlfriend to a potentially dangerous situation. Just him. Just but, him needs to be in danger, but whatever. <laughs> but like, what the heck is going on? So it's like, okay, so at a certain point, we do indeed acknowledge that y'all have a boyfriend. Y'all have boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And then you flirt with other guys. It's really strange. I don't know. And we're supposed to see that as like being acceptable and normal or and cute or cute, yeah. funny. Like, what are we supposed to read from that? Yeah. I see a bunch of flaky, rude girls, what I see, who don't accept boundaries. Yeah. So <laughs> that sums it up. I will. Okay. So, something else I kind of want to talk about is like the helplessness of Nancy Drew in this. So, like, one for sure that we've talked about already is, like, definitely Nancy doesn't do any real investigating in this book. No. She goes to some places and happens to find some things that's not investigating. It's circumstantial. And, like. does more snooping than Nancy does. Right. Right. (laughs) But also, there are several moments where physical stuff starts happening. So like um, the man breaks into her bedroom, the guys drag Ned and Nancy out of their cars. They're like in the attic room and best calls for help. Right. Cause mm-hmm. the guy, I guess is there and like threatening them or whatever. And um, all of those situations, Nancy doesn't physically fight herself. Right. Like she in the bedroom, she goes to get Carson to come help her. Which is it's fair, it's fine. Like Very right for a teen girl to go get her dad when there's a man sure. that might be trying to murder her. I'm not critiquing that, but she does it quite a few times. And there's one moment where like she she and Ned's being attacked, and specifically she says that like she knows she's not going to be any help, so she runs to get help. How how would she not be any help? I'm like <laughs> why? Like Nancy jump off? Like like push? Like. I I agree. <laughs> I agree that like getting help is probably a good a good option to take, mm. but it doesn't fit with me in Nancy Drew's character, right? That she would that she would say, "I don't think I can help in this situation." Right. I'm going to abandon Ned here. I think it would be <laughs> fine for her to be like, "The best thing to do is for me to get some help right now. The best mm-hmm. way for me to help Ned is get some help." Right. Or you know, like a smart decision, I would understand. But instead, she it feels like she's discrediting herself oh, and yeah. like not trusting in herself and her own abilities or being brave and instead running, right? And so it's just like, why? Why? <laughs> like, why are we getting that message? Why is Nancy saying that? That doesn't mm-hmm. feel accurate. That doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like a good no. message for girls, you know? Like, I also was thinking from Ned's point of view, you're both getting attacked and then Nancy just runs away. He has no reason to believe she's coming back. Shoot. (laughs) I'm on my own. One against four now. Nancy could have been at least a little help. Two against four would be better than 
one, you know, mm-hmm. but she doesn't mm-hmm. seem to think that she can be useful. Didn't even get to a point where she felt like Ned would be safe if she did leave. She just left. Yeah. Let me, so this is in chapter six, but there's, it's like phrased in a certain way that I really didn't like. So, okay. Nancy knew she would be unable to assist Ned in the fight. Nancy Why knew she know that? It's- that she would be unable. No, Nancy knew that she would, she would be unable. No, she doesn't. Nancy is very capable. That's like her number one trait is Nancy's capability. And also to say that like running to get help is not helping. Right. You know, which it is. It absolutely is. Instead. So she's like, I can't help. I gotta, you know, I gotta go like what? No, no. And why can't she help? Is it because she's not a man? I yes, mean, Corey. No, Nancy's trained in martial arts. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, we do. That's not unhelpful. <laughs> no, literally later in um, George and Nancy, because they're the only people there, they tackle the ghost guy. They go to tackle that guy. They say they'll mm-hmm. give him a judo flip. Right. They'll give him a judo flip. So they presumably even, know how to do that. Yeah, she like calculates doing it, but she's like, "Oh, I can't do it without like best getting hurt in this somehow." Mm-hmm. It's something along those lines, and so she decides not to. So she could have helped in this. She could have judo flipped these tweens that were carjacking them. But right, right. So that really bothers me. That really yeah. bothers me. I don't mm-hmm. like this book. <laughs> Even in the end, like it's like, oh, we need to wait for Cody to come with us because we need yeah. a man to protect us from right. Yeah, right. It's some bullshit. It's some yeah. big bullshit. <sighs> so, yeah. I I honestly don't have a whole lot more to say about it because it was just so painful to read that I was like, please let this be done. Please let mm-hmm. this be over. <laughs> I appreciated the uh, the cameos from some of our favorite characters. Chief McGinnis and Eloise. Hannah and Carson both have pretty decent sized roles in it given yeah. the length of the story. Bess and, or Bess and George obviously are throughout the entire mystery. Oh, Ned, Bird, and Dave, like we talked about, they're all in it mm-hmm. as well. So that was nice. Yeah. But the rest of it, thumbs down. <laughs> yeah. Big ol' thumbs down for me, too. So, yeah, your flashlight score. <laughs> I would give it a one flashlight out of five. Yeah. I would give it a zero. What's the what's the Instagram reel? It's like, I would give this a zero, but I can't do that. So I will give you a one. <laughs> I want to give it two, but I feel like I should give it a one. Yeah. So, you know, we hope you enjoyed our critique of potentially our least favorite Nancy Drew book ever. Surely there's been a worse one than this. I, I mean, surely there is, but not one that I've read, I don't think. I think this is officially my least favorite Nancy Drew book ever. The magazine one with the files, smile and say murder. That one was that was better. Great, yeah, it was better. That was better. Even with all the Ned drama that was unnecessary, I would go so far to say that every single Nancy Drew file is better than this book. Oh wow! Even having not read all of them, I would say that. Saying something, but it's not wrong. So. Hopefully. So let's, you know what? Let's move on. Let's move on to something better, bigger and yes, better. Yes. Special episode number, what is this? We do. 25, right? 25. We've got wow. special episode 25 coming up. And I am very excited about it because we are going to be watching. Drum roll. Drum roll. 
pilot episode for the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mystery TV show from the 70s. Yay! So that should be a nice change of pace, I think. Yes. I'm so excited. One, because I'm sure it's 20 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know, actually. Oh, yeah. 45, maybe 45. I have no idea. It might be. We'll see. We will see. We will sure see. I have never seen it before. I don't even really have any frame of reference for it, except that Pamela Sue Martin as Nancy Drew and both Nancy and the Hardy Boys star in it. So we love a Hardy Boys crossover. We sure do. I have high hopes for it already. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so true. We love a Hardy Boys crossover. I'm sure it's going to be very great, full of lots of uh, 70s fashion and. Please. Shag carpets and paneling and floral wallpaper. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited for that. Incredible hairstyles and yes. yes, yes. I was already. I was just looking at the, um, I guess some image like promotional image or something for it, and their haircuts, yeah, <laughs> are so intense. It's hilarious. So yes, I'm very excited to see all that and the cutie Hardy boys. I'm very excited about. I want to say that this or the show back in the seventies was really like the second iteration of a Nancy Drew adaptation because we had the Benina mm-hmm. Granville movies in the thirties and there's four of those, but then there, I, as far as I know, there was nothing else until the seventies. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So that's, that's also a really big jump in time. Mm-hmm. And I presume that's because Harriet felt so burned by the, the movies that she didn't want to, oh, yeah. she didn't want to do it again. But I wonder, yeah, I wonder what made her change her mind about the 1970s adaptions or if that really was just the first one that came up after that or what. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see and to speculate about. (laughs) So join us then. Yeah, we'll see you then, regular Drews. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics, and all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.